Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. And uh, we are at our last church, though the Church on Fire will continue with other messages. Next Sunday night, the Lord willing, we will be giving a vision casting message uh, that, that I want you to be here for. Uh, please make, make plans to be here. If you're sick, get well. Be here. Amen. Praise God. I know that's what you want to do, but uh, be here. Next Sunday night will be our uh, vision casting, getting us ready uh, for the new year. Amen. The book of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. You can fool a lot of people, but he knows our works, doesn't he? I know your works. Then he pronounces that thou art neither cold nor hot. But I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee. I counsel thee, I advise you to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We thank you for the Word. We thank you in particularly for the book of Revelation and for these seven letters, these seven messages you sent to the messengers of the church, but not to them only, but to us and for our benefit. We thank you, Lord, for your Word that is clear and your help Lord Jesus, that is, is so directive. We ask, Lord, that we would, we would be faithful to do the work and to obey in Jesus' name. Let everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. You can be seated. 
As I stated, we have come to the final chapter, or the final letter, the final message of the seven churches. This is the seventh. These letters are packed with powerful insights and information on how to live for Christ in an anti-Christ world. I am convinced the more that I have studied this, I've only scratched the surface about the, the content and the depth of what is behind the message to these churches. Each letter provides for us a blueprint on how churches collectively and individually. I want to make some clarification statements here. Listen very closely. There can be a time when a church can be modeling one of these and they need help. Then there can be times when an individual can be modeling these issues and they need help. Just because we say that we do not have Jezebel in leadership doesn't mean that there isn't a battle of Jezebel's spirit coming against the church. Do you understand? Or just because we say we don't have any suffering, nobody's hurting, nobody's pain, well, somebody's suffering. The collective of these churches helps us understand both the individual issues that people have and also a local body, a local church can deal with these things. Let me refresh your memory. Ephesus, we remember Ephesus. Ephesus was that loveless, ultra-conservative church. They had strong morals, and they were fervent in their orthodoxy. They were hard-working, fundamentalist church, but they left their first love. Doctrinally, they were sound, but they had no real passion about the things of God. Jesus said to them, and he says to us, remember how you used to love, repent, change your mind, and then redo what you used to do. Somebody say, I feel like I'm, I'm drifted from the Lord. It's kind of like that old story about the farmer and his wife that you know all they had was a one-seater pickup. And they got married, they had a one-seater pickup. And when they got married, he was sitting there driving and she was sitting right next to him. Years down the road, she had slid over to the other side, and she got to saying, "We just don't, we don't, we're not as close as we used to be. We're not." And 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 he said, "Bless his heart." And he said, "Well, who moved?" But it's 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 about having that passion and that relationship that we can walk away from God and drift away from the Lord. That we need to repent and do our first works. Do what we used to do with our first works. Love passionately again. Smyrna, you remember, was the persecuted, afflicted, slandered, and impoverished church. They were spiritually rich and vibrant in their faith, but they were battling fear. Jesus says to them and to us, overcome fear, be faithful, for I am faithful. Hallelujah. How many know you can overcome fear through his faithfulness and your faithfulness? Then to Pergamum, the ungrounded, unsound church in a college town, passionate about witnessing. They, uh, they were passionate about faith. They were, they were very involved, uh, but they succumbed to compromise. They accommodated and gave into the political elite culture of that day. Jesus said to them and to us, repent 
and discern my word. That's the scripture that says, if you overcome, I will give you the hidden manna. I will show you absolute truth. Amen. That's what Pergamum needed. Thyatira. Thyatira was the liberal, touchy-feely, warm-hearted church. They valued faith, patience, serving, and improving their efforts. They went to conferences to get better. They watched conferences online on how to get better. They were strong in love, but weak in doctrine. They are the opposite side of Ephesus. They accepted immorality and idolatry and Jezebel's false teaching. They were overtly tolerant. Amen. But they did not value a biblical worldview. Jesus says to them and to us, think biblically, renew your conviction, and embrace spiritual authority. When you're in a situation like this, think biblically. Renew your conviction and spiritual authority. To Sardis, Sardis was that shallow megachurch, flashy in their worship. Motivational preaching was their, their, their aim, and they were successful. They had packed out buildings, but there was no life in that church. A lot of volunteers and a lot of workers in ministry, but there was no victory. They had symbolic saints that promoted seeker-friendly atmosphere for a faithful hypocrisy that would come and say, we're a lively church. But Jesus said, you're dead. What does he say to them and to us? Come alive, wake up. Somebody say, come alive. Philadelphia. Philadelphia, we would classify it as a small storefront church on the other side of the tracks. Great ministry opportunities await them. It is the church of the open door. They lacked resources, but what they lacked in natural resources, they excelled in spiritual resources. Economically and talent-wise, they were unimpressive, but they had an open door. Do you see how sometimes that God looks at churches differently? We would classify Sardis as, as, as the mega church, you know, that Popular church, they got a lot of people, they got a lot of money, they got a lot going on. But Jesus said, I see Philadelphia as being the church I want to, I want to touch and I want to have them to be blessed. And, and, and so they were struggling, but they were healthy. To them, Jesus says, and to you and to me, stand strong. Somebody say, stand strong. Laodicea was that wealthy church, very influential church. This is what we're going to talk about today. They were on the nice part of town. No church mortgages here. There was all brand new cars in their parking lot. They had it all. So they thought. Materially, they were rich, but spiritually, they were poor. The church had two major characteristics, affluence and apathy. Brothers and sisters, those two usually walk together. Affluence and apathy. Can I just say this, that the blessings of America have been wonderful, but they've also been a curse because we've come to identify blessings and prosperity as the favor of God. So we can do what we want if we've got money. I want to say the prosperity gospel in, in, in its in its 
in its core is rotten because it, it promotes this idea that if I've got a lot of money, do you know today, I did some research, do you know uh, the Mormon church is the richest church in the world, richer than all Catholicism? The Mormon church is in the billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. I just want to say that God is not impressed with our riches. What he's impressed with is a Philadelphia and a Sardis that had lack, but they were all in. So Laodicea will jump into her into this, this church here a little deeper. We find that the city and the history of Laodicea gives us a picture of where they are and what they were dealing with. La Laodicea was a major city in a region called Phrygia situated in the Lycus Valley. It was founded by Antiochus II some 250 years before Christ. The original name was uh, Dicyplus. Dicyplus, I believe, is how you say it. But uh, it meant the city of Zeus. The city of Zeus. The king that, that, that founded the city renamed it to be after his wife, Laodice. What a name. Hey, honey, Laodice, how you doing? Wow. It was situated strategically where three highways met. Its location then was very popular for the travel of commerce and merchandise. When Rome took it, and they became the head and, and the Roman government took over and they ruled. The city began to thrive. It became one of the chief cities of Roman culture and a political district comp, uh, comprised of no less than 25 towns that this district was over. Laodicea became a very prosperous banking and financial center. It is said that emperors would come from around to invest their money and cash their checks there. It had a massive stadium whose outlines can still be seen today in the ruins of Laodicea. It had three theaters as well as multiple temples to multiple and all sorts of gods and goddesses. Laodicea also had a medical school there that had been associated with the manufacturing of the Phrygian powder crushed from local stone. This powder was supposed to do wonders to eyes. It was an eye salve, if you please. And they sold that as something that was very uh, craved in that time. The main source of uh, uh, Laodicea's wealth was their unique, glossy, black, and deep purple wool. They produced these sheep in that region that they would take that wool and make these beautiful tunics. That was the fashion craze of that day. This was how a lot of their money was made. It became the popular label. I want to wear the Laodicean wool. Black, dark purple. So Laodicea was very wealthy. They had money, they had medicine, they had fashion. They were very, very wealthy. Laodicea was situated between two towns. Our nearby was Colossia. Hold on with me. Y'all with me? You okay? 
Colossae was about 10 miles to the east up towards the mountains that would go somewhere around 8,000 feet. Uh, Colossae was there. Do you recognize Colossia? What is Colossia? That's the town that had the church that Paul wrote the book of Colossians to. Some six miles north is uh, uh, Heropolis, another city. It was kind of like the twin cities. And Paul mentions them in his letter to Colossians when he says in chapter 2 and verse 1, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea. Now mark this in your mind, all you history buffs. Paul is writing to Colossia and he's writing to also Laodicea and he is saying, I am concerned about you 35 years before Jesus gives John the letter to distribute. Something was seeding there. Something was coming. Uh, it, it was in the foundation there. And then he said in verse two, he said, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is saying to Colossia and to Laodicean, you need some riches, but not in this world, you need some knowledge and some wisdom. How many know that that is great riches? Paul mentions a man by the name of Epratus who was laboring greatly with Colossia and Laodicea. He would have been one of the preachers and perhaps even the pastor of Laodicea some 35 years before uh, John's letter and Jesus' letter came to Laodicea. Look at chapter 4 and verse 12. Epratus, who is one of you, Paul called him a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Listen to what he says. For I bear him record that he had a great zeal. He had a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hyperpolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and in Nephias that the church is in his house. And when the, listen to this, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also at the church of the Laodiceans. So some 35 years before this letter, Letter, Laodicea was getting the letter from Colossia as being written to them. As a matter of fact, Paul would say later on that he did write an epistle directly to Laodicea. So God was interested in this church. He made it clear God loved this church. And God sent a man that had a passion, had a passion. What was it that Laodicea came to need. They needed a passion. Can I tell you, God will send you a passion preacher. He'll send you what you need to give you a word and give you an opportunity to receive the word of the Lord. One other thing I want to tell you, scholars and archaeologists squabble about this, but Colossia being situated underneath the mountains, they would have 
beautiful springs that would come down and they had some of the best refreshing cold water in Colossia and they have uncovered uh, uh, conduits and drainage um, ditches I guess you would say that Laodicea tried to get these cool waters from Colossia to get to them because they said that the waters at Laodicea though they had plenty it was full of minerals and you couldn't drink it nasty so they had that coming over from this side and up and north of them they had hyperpolis and you know what hyperpolis had hot springs still to this day you can go look at the pictures and there's white salt mine looking things they got these springs and and salt is all around them and and so it it had healing properties and so they tried to they had to bring that water from hyperpolis down so that they could have a source of healing but by at the time it got to Laodicea the water at Colossia was no longer cold it was lukewarm the water from Hyperplus was no longer hot. It was lukewarm. And so Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, here's what you are, Laodicea. You're like your town water supply. You're neither hot and you're neither cold. Now, I want to tell you, don't you ever think that Jesus wants you to be either on fire for him or not on fire for him. He said, I wouldn't you be cold or hot. No, what he was saying was, I wish that you were refreshing And I wish that you had healing properties, but you have lost it because you're not from the source. You have lost the source. What happens when we get self-sufficient is all of a sudden we lose the connection with our source. And Jesus said, if you want to, to win the battle over lukewarmness, you better get connected to me. Can you love the Lord today? I am I'm going to take my time today because we only have one service, but I will not try to cram two messages into one unless you want me to. I got one chuckle right there, not even one amen. So I better read the scripture. Here's the presentation, the revelation that Jesus gave to the Laodiceans. Under the church of the Laodiceans right These things which saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Something I want to point out from the very get-go. This is the way it is written. It says, unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. The other letters are written like this. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus. Under the angel of the church in Smyrna, the angel of the church in Pergamon, the angel of the church in Thyatira, the angel in the church in Sardis, the angel of the church in Philadelphia. But when it came to Laodicea, he said, right under the church of the Laodiceans. It did not belong to Jesus. It belonged to people. It was a people-run church rather than a Jesus-run church. When you study Laodicea, it literally means laity rule or people rule, opinion of people rules. Amen. The opinion or the custom of people is what gave them direction. No longer were they connected to Christ, and you will find that he is not even in this church. 
He's on the outside of the church knocking on a door saying, if you'll open up, hear my voice, I'll come in. Here's a church that he leaves last to show us that I don't care how bad you are, how awful you are, I love you enough to rebuke you, to correct you. I'll keep preaching to you. I'll send you firebrands. I'll send you letters because I want you to repent. I want you to overcome, but you got to let me in. Man, I'm getting so far ahead of myself. He said, I am the amen. This is interesting because it's the only place that the word amen is used as a proper name. He said, that's my name. I am amen. What is he saying? What do we say when we say amen? That's true. That's finished. That's the final word on this. Amen. So be it. Jesus said, no matter what is going on in your mess, Laodicea, I'm the final word. I've got the final word. I am the the amen of God. Hallelujah. In Isaiah 65 and 16, the prophet says that he who blessed himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. You know what that is interpreted? The God, the amen. God, the amen. And it says, and he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of amen. Hallelujah. Because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from my eyes. Noted commentator, uh, James Fawcett and Brown commentary gives a telling comment. He said in the New Testament, am, amen is I say to you the equivalent of the Old Testament. Uh, uh, the, the Jehovah would say, as I live, as I live, so be it. Can I tell you, you can trust the amen. You can trust Trust Jesus, the amen. amen. The amen speaks of his absolute guarantee. He's trustworthy. His word is immutable. He's the amen. He's the end of the argument. Somebody say he's the end of the argument. He's the faithful and true. That means his words never fall short of the truth. His words are always genuine. Can I just tell you, there's coming such an attack on the word. I believe with all my heart, we need to get in love with this as being the final amen. This is the amen of heaven. This is the final word of God that we can say amen, so be it. It closes the book. When it is all said and done, it's still going to be he is king of kings and Lord of lords. Then it says he is the beginning of the creation of God. How many know what it says? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then it says that that word created this world. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He's not impressed with the boastings of Laodicea. He's not impressed with self-sufficient people that look and say, I've got it when he's the creator of the heavens and the creator of the earth. He is the creator of space and galaxy. He is the one that spoke it into existence. Paul wrote to the Colossians again. He said in chapter 1 and verse 15, remember this is also a letter to the Laodiceans. Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him we're all all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, they had already got the message. You wonder today, pastors preached that before, he's taught that before. I have good authority to do it. 
Praise God. Matter of fact, Sister Teresa mentioned the lily work. I preached that back in, I think, 2009. I looked it up. I think I need to preach that again. All right. The Laodiceans, again, are reading this 35 years before Jesus' letter by way of John the Apostle. He is establishing who he is and reminding them of the words that were preached by Paul and by the others that came to them that he is the beginning and the end. He is the faithful and true. He is the amen. Somebody ought to shout right now and thank God that we know who he is. For any time we see God, or we fail to see, rather, we fail to see God as the Lord above all, pride will quickly set in. Arrogance and apathy will march right in with an incorrect view of oneself uh, in relationship to God. The Laodiceans had an inflated view of themselves and their spiritual condition and a deflated view of God. They elevated themselves. We're good. We're rich. We're blessed. We've got all of this. But they did not elevate God at the same time. There's nothing wrong with prosperity. Nothing wrong with being rich. But you better elevate God. Every time your paycheck goes up, you ought to elevate God. Every time your blessings begin to pour in, you ought to elevate God. Every time you went to the store and you buy something else, elevate God. Lift him up. Why don't you do that right now? Lift him up. C.S. Lewis said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. He went on to say, pride leads to every vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. And Jesus said in verse 15 of Revelation, he said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Anybody here hate to vomit? Can I see some hater, hate, hate to vomit folk? Pastor got his hands up. Oh, praise God for a faithful church. Hate to I hate. I will fight it. I will fight it. I'll stand wherever, upside down, on my back, on my belly. I'm going to fight it. I'll, I'll do something. To, uh, I hate it. Have you ever put anything in your mouth thinking that this is going to really taste good? And it doesn't. Like a tomato. That's Bishop's thing. I gotta do something with this. You, you ever been there? You're you gonna find a way. Excuse me, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm spitting this out. I can't, this cannot stay in here. It tastes so bad. And that's what Jesus was saying of this church. Your spirituality tastes so bad that when I take a taste of you, it makes me sick. And the word there says spew. But when you begin to look up that into the Greek, it literally means I'm about to vomit. I am about to... Mm. Oh. How about kids that do that for you? Then you got to clean all that up. 
I, I, Pastor, why are you getting so gr uh, graphic with this? Because I want you to know how much God says, this upsets me. This upsets me. Because, again, going back to the water analogy, it was not cold and refreshing, neither was it hot and had healing powers. So what was it? It was useless. This is the real issue of lukewarmness. It's not whether you're on fire for God or you're not on fire for God. It's that are you useful to God? Is there healing qualities in your relationship with the Lord? Is there refreshing qualities? Do you have something that he can look at and say, hmm, that tastes good. There's a purpose in that. Or do we look like a church sometimes and we've got all the blessing, but in God says, no, that doesn't taste good. Cold is cold, hot is hot, lukewarm is just mixed up. That's what Jesus said. I wish you were useful, but because you're neither, you make me sick. Lukewarm is a little bit of the world and a little bit of the kingdom of heaven. Neither one thing or another, mixed, undecided, ambiguous, ambivalent, apathetic about the things of God and not really caring about the things of this world. Can I ask you today, amen, is there something in this life that makes you so upset? That's how God feels. That's how God feels, amen. And then he says, this is your description of yourself because, he said in verse 17, thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Amen. History records that Laodicean was so rich and so wealthy that in 60 AD, an earthquake hit them and destroyed the city. And when Rome showed up with economic aid to help them, they turned it away. They did not accept the aid because they had so much money and so much wealth. Amen. And this hour that we're living in, people are living in such a mentality that says, God, I don't need you. I got a job. God, I don't need you. I got health insurance. God, I don't need you. I'm in a good town. God, I don't need you. I'm safe where I'm at. God, I've got this. I've got this. And the Lord said, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Who gave you that job? Who gave you that security who gave you that blessing they said we're rich Jesus said you're rich wretched what part burst your bubble wouldn't it the expression here is used in pagan Greek dramas to express tragic misfortune and woe you say you're rich but you're full of drama tragic and tragedy and woe you're miserable, pitiful. You deserve sympathy. Laodicea, you got a bunch of money, but you look at, I look at you and I go, Jesus does, and he says, oh, oh, pitiful, miserable. You're poor, spiritual poverty, amen. This word poor means to cower down or hide oneself for fear. The picture of one crouching and cowering like a beggar with a tin cup to receive the pennies that are dropped in. Jesus said, this is how, I, I don't know about you, but I, I believe sometimes we need to pray, Jesus, how do you see me? 
how do you see me, Jesus? Uh, not how do I see myself, but Lord, how do you see that? And Jesus said, I see you in abject poverty, which was literally they had nothing. They had nothing. Amen. In the eyes of the Lord, they had a bank account full, but they didn't have a full relationship with him. And then they, he said they were blind. They were unable to discern. They didn't have spiritual vision. Amen. Look at what he wrote again to the, the the church at Ephesus, he wrote this in chapter 4 and verse 18. He says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Spiritual blindness measures God's approval by our prosperity rather than by God's love and will. One commentator wrote about blindness. He said, having lost all capacity of introspection by the measure of God's word, they were unable to assess their condition by anything other than pragmatic measures of ministry statistics. As they grow in influence and number, their willingness to admit of the need for correction continually wanes until they reach a condition much like that of the Laodicean church. Can I tell you, I've watched it over and over again. Success destroys many people because they confused their ministry success as God's approval and so they felt like they could they were entitled to do what they wanted to do because they baptized so many people or they had so many in their church or they had such and such building and the Lord is saying that's Laodicea's spirit and you need to take care of that you say you're rich but I say you're poor and you're blind and you're naked What an assessment of a church that was under a, a self-delusion. They excluded Jesus from being the center of their church and their lives. They think he's among them, but he isn't. They think he's in their fellowship, but he's not. They think that they're fine condition, but they are not. They think that they're on fire, but they are not. Amen. They are confident in their resources, rather trusting in him. They think their religious acts are a sign of their spiritual maturity. Laodicea is about what the people want, self exaltation, self-enthronement, self-centeredness, and self-righteousness. Hallelujah. For they would say, we have arrived. God loves us. We're rich. God approves of us. We're in good shape. God cares for us. Amen. Why do we need anything else? We're good. We're good. I want to tell you sometimes it is the wretchedness and the poverty of the natural that leads us to pray in the spiritual. Sometimes you got to cultivate spiritual hunger. You got blessed your God has poured out his power upon him so what do we do we got fast days and prayer meeting and, and we seek God and we sacrifice getting up and going to church lay it a sin you're lukewarm but I want to tell you you don't have to stay that way but look at verse 18 revelations 3 and 18 Jesus said, I counsel of thee. Somebody say, he counsels. He counsels of thee to buy of me. He said, gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eyes salve that thou mayest see. Do you see what he's getting at? He's getting at their wealth. 
And he says, what you really need is gold tried in the fire. What you really need is a purified riches. You need spiritual gold that'll stand the test. Buy of me spiritual gold that'll stand the test. He said, you, you need to have white. That, that black garments that you're wearing, that's not a sign of righteousness. But white garments is a sign of righteousness purity. He said, you need to be clothed in the right kind of garment. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they sewed fig leaves together and did not have the right kind of fashion on. And this is where the Laodiceans are. And then he said, you need a heavenly eye salve. He hit them right where they lived, their money, their banking, and their, their special eye ointment that comes from the university there that, that, that was the healing property. He said, what you need is not the, the Phrygian cream. What you need is a Holy Ghost eye salve to come upon you and make yourself realize who you really are, what you really are. Can I just tell you today, you need and I need God to anoint our eyes that we may see who we are. Then he says, church, here's your steps. I counsel of you. I advise you. He gives them a choice. And he says, in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Laodicea was the most messed up church of the seven. Yet Jesus still loved them, corrected them, and did not give up on them. Can you thank the Lord for that? Aren't you glad he doesn't give up on us when we, we need some eye salve? Aren't you glad that he doesn't give on us when we need to put on some righteousness? Uh, aren't you glad that he doesn't give up us? He loves us enough to correct us. He loves us enough to step on our toes. Uh, amen. He hadn't give up on this messed up church. Be zealous. That's ardor over apathy. Intention over indifference. Holy passion over pride. He said, you need some, you need some focus. Get, be zealous. And then he says, repent. Change your direction. Change your thinking. And then he said something very outstanding to me that ought to make us stop and think. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Jesus is not knocking on sinners' doors. This is not sinners' doors he's knocking on. He's knocking on the church's door. He's knocking on Laodicea. He's on the outside. And he said, if any man hear my voice, if any man will recognize their own spiritual deception that they're in under, and the voice may be faint, but Go to the door and open the door. And he said, I will come in and sup. What an interesting word, sup. It's the same root word for where we get supper. How many of you, your evening meal is dinner? You call it dinner. Do I have any Texas uh, familiar friends that call it supper? Oh, looky here. Ooh, Supper. Amen. It's supper time. 
Gotta go get some stuff. And what he is saying, the most important meal that they had in that day and a lot of places today is the meal at the end of the day where they would all come in as a family and gather around and it was an event. It wasn't just grabbing something and going. It wasn't just putting a, a meal in the microwave and, and going. No, it was we're going to sit down and we're going to commune. And Jesus says, if you'll open the door, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in and we're going to have dinner and we're going to have supper and we're going to have a feast and we're going to talk and I'm going to be communing with you and you're going to be communing with me. So that's when we come to church. We open the door and he says, I want to come in and I want to, I want to be with you and I want to talk with you. I want to commune with you. I want to have relationship with you. Hallelujah. The Greek definition of this word meant not just to eat a meal, but to linger at the meal, to spend time in intimate conversation, personal time with each other, an extended period of time. And he says, if you'll be with me in the meal, then he said something powerful in the next verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. If you'll let me come to supper, then I'm going to let you come to my throne. Hallelujah, one of these days, he's going to put us at the most premium place. This is the highest promise over all the other churches. This is the highest promise that I'm going to be with him in his throne, but I first got to be with him at supper. I've got to be with him in relationship. I've got to be with him in intimacy. I got to be with him in prayer now. I got to be with him in, 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 in study now and commitment now Amen. that I can overcome. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. This is the ultimate promise, to sit on the throne with Jesus. How do we overcome? Surrender our throne. Because Laodicea had a throne. It's us. It's me. Stand with me, please. Look how prosperous we are. Look how good we've got it. Do you often wonder, why does Africa have so many people having revival? Because a lot of them don't even know where the next supper's coming from. Every day is a prayer meeting to live. Every day is a sit down with Jesus and say, Lord, help me get by today. But sometimes our prosperity and our blessings have caused us to be blinded. To cause us to think that we're rich when we're really not. To cause us to think that we've really got it all together and we're, we're self-sufficient. And we Americans are among the worst because we love rugged individualism. We love those that do things and champion. And, and, but at the heart of it, it's got to be somebody that says, I'll go do rugged things, but it's not going to be me. I'm going to be like Paul. I can do all things, but I'm not going to stop there. Through Christ, which strengthened me. Would you begin to lift up your hands right now and say, oh God, show yourself to me. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Help me, Lord, to see through a surrendered, Lord, effort. Oh God, I'm going to go open the door and we're going to have communion. Lord, we're going to have a time together to talk. That's why we got, Lord, our days of consecration. We want, Lord, to commune with you and give ourselves to you today. Oh, Lord, would you help us, God? Help us, Lord, to overcome 
Father, the apathy of this hour, the apathy of this generation, the apathy, Lord, of this culture, oh God, and help us to see victory in the name of Jesus. Would you come to the altar, church? Come on, we, we want to shake off any Laodicea effect in our person and in our congregation. We want to shake off any lethargy, any complacency. We want to shake it off. Hallelujah. We want to just simply say, oh God, let me be red hot for you. Let me be something that's useful, not something that has no use and no purpose. In the name of the Lord today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we come to you believing, Jesus. We come to you believing, Lord. Hallelujah. You are so wonderful. Thank you for loving us enough that you correct us. Thank you for loving me enough, Lord, that you correct me. Thank you for loving me that enough that you rebuke me. Oh, God, because I want to be like you. I want to be like you. Thank you for listening to the MPC Podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.